Moto One Podcast Network. You're listening to Creative Writing, the podcast that's like that missing 10 millimeter, but you kind of wish you never found it. Somehow you did. And like our supporters on Patreon, you too can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash creative writing. While you're at it, head over to our Zazzle store and check out our merch there by searching Creative Writing Podcast. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, anywhere else except for TikTok and Ding Dong, because we ain't going to go there, but on Twitter we are. And Tumblr, thanks, bye. We might be on Bing Bong, but I'm not 100% sure. Hey, everybody, welcome to Creative Writing episode. You guessed it. Did you guess it? It's 260. Not 269. On 269, we'll do a a secret sauce episode, man. We'll do a saucy episode. This is 266, so the nine's upside down. Um, Guess what, man? This is uh, episode 266, Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. How is everybody doing tonight? Uh, Right off the bat, I wanted to say thank you to our newest Patreon subscriber, MotoGP. Oh my God, you're in for such a treat. Uh, Welcome to Patreon. You have access to our our Discord server now, uh, which we're trying to be a little more active with. You have access to our uh, behind-the-scenes content, which, I mean, it's not always great. Who wants pictures of Junkie uh, taking it candidly in the shower? On a- There's selfies, but uh, anyway, long story short, uh, yeah, welcome to our newest subscriber. Thank you so much. Your junk will get in the mail this week, and uh, by the time you hear this episode, it will hopefully be posted. Just kidding, not likely. Uh, it'll probably be uh, posted by this Friday. So, with that uh, being said, thanks to everyone. Thanks to all of our patrons, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, who've been with us through thick and thin, long and short, and uh, everything in between. I'm talking about your length of uh, subscription to pat- your patronage, you fools, like not your height. Uh, anyway, so welcome to episode 266. We got a great episode for you this week. Before we get into anything, uh, let me see how many minutes do I have here. I got to make this expedient. So I did want to get into our disclaimer. Uh, the uh, uh, You know, as every week I, I tell you this, the views and opinions of the participants of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast are those of the participants and do not reflect the po- policy, position, opinions of Creative Writing, Moto One Podcast Network, any of our affiliates, any opinion of the prospective participants is uh, not intended to malign anyone or anything, even Yamaha Seika 2 writers. So... Uh, having said that, we got a great show lined up for you this week. Uh, of course, the the uh, the title hopefully didn't give too much away. Uh, tonight's guest has done so many things uh, that we didn't even get to record or, or had to cut out of this show. Um, so stick around for that. Uh, in the meantime, let me tell you a couple things that are going on, mostly here in SoCal, but otherwise around the world. Um. Hey, February 1st, Year of the Tiger. So happy Year of the Tiger, everybody. Uh, Junkie Turdman is Year of the Tiger. So this is way back before they even had calendars. You know, I'm like 18,000 years old. But uh, I am Year of the Tiger. If you know, if you know anything about uh, following me on Instagram or following the show on Instagram, you'll know that I flushed my keys down the toilet. That's a real story. Uh, Also fell off a ravine uh, going bike riding with Wiggins. 
um, and got a huge gouge on one leg and a bunch of rash on the other leg. Fell off two. I fell off twice actually on that ride. Once off a cliff, but I caught myself on this choya. If you know what, a, not a choya. <laughs> that would have been very painful. It was almost as equally painful. It was a um, not an agave. What are those things called? God, I love them, and I can't think what they're called now. They're the. They look like an agave. They're really spiky at the bottom, and they have a long root. St- a yucca. I, I fell and grabbed myself on a yucca. Luckily, it was dried out and not brand new, so I didn't get impaled. But uh, I was able to grab onto the dry carcass of this old rotting yucca uh, and keep myself from falling down the hill that time. Grabbed Wiggins' bikes between my uh, knees because that was a pretty far fall down. Uh, some dude came along and, and uh, helped me get kind of back right, and that was that was just a little off. I just hit a rock. My The chain derailed, and I lost momentum and hit a rock and went flying off a cliff. The second time I fell was off an actual, like, ravine at high speed. Me and Wiggins were, like, we were gleaming the cube. Uh, if you, you know, if you know what gleaming the cube is, we were gleaming the cube, and I was looking so far ahead. I was looking at where Wiggins was that my line kind of jigged and jagged, and I hit another rock and went just off the. Uh, I was totally unprepared. I was leaning into the. I was leaning off the side of the bike, waiting for the next turn to come up. Uh, the right hander, so I was leaning off to the right, and my turn still turned to the left. And I hit a rock and just, it pitched me. I was already, all my momentum was to the right. I was setting up for that next corner, flowing, feeling, feeling the, feeling the flow, man. And, uh, just pitched me down into a ravine, pretty steep. I had a hard time getting, climbing out, let alone with Wiggins' bike. (laughs) And he's like, you fell off here? Yeah, it was a totally benign, stupid area to fall off. But it did leave me with a significant, uh, injury and uh, so that sucks. All of that crap happened before Year of the Tiger. So now that Year of the Tiger has started, I feel like I'm making a turnaround. This is going to be my year, baby. So any other you Tigers out there with me, let's roar. Okay, you don't have to roar. Uh, but anyway, I just want to wish you a happy Year of the Tiger. As you can hear, I'm a little stuffed up. Uh, so that hasn't been going great for me. I usually get stuffed up around December-ish, January-ish, but uh, it's... It delayed a little bit this year, which is kind of weird. So um, I took a, took a burn through a few Corona tests uh, just to waste them and to figure out that, yeah, it's just my yearly stupid uh, nasals. But, man, it's had me it's had me down. If you ever had dealt with sinus pressure, you know what's going on. I don't even feel like I'm riding, which is – who says that, right? Um, so anyways, Year of the Tiger has kind of been – kind of been going okay kind of not uh also coming up um that was february 1st uh so happy year of the tiger um february 10th the intro to motorcycle electricity is coming up on nokomoto i know that or not i'm sorry for noble moto um i I know that's coming up here pretty quick so we're trying to get this episode out so that you all have time to sign up for that noble moto if you if you uh listen back uh Last year, we talked to Steve Noble. He runs these classes. Uh, you can sign up. He's out of uh, the greater city of Cincinnati, Cleveland, Natty. Uh, I think he's in Cleveland, but I, I'm not sure about Cincinnati, so that's why I just did a portmanteau of the two. But I'm pretty sure he's in Cleveland. Um, go check it out. It's probably super hot like it is here. I mean, it's been like in the 80s, and I feel like I was going to melt today. It's probably the same in Cleveland. So perfect time to learn about electricity, we get out of the sweltering heat, get indoors, and... Uh, uh, learn something useful. February 13th, uh, Vintage Bike OC. 
February 13th is also the Streets of Willow from our friends Brady Walker and the crew at Classic Track Day uh, Remming Speed Racing. Uh, Also, February 13th, that's the day you guys are going to want to run out and get some cards and flowers. Why? Uh, Valentine's is the next day. Just uh, I I knew none of the guys out there could remember that. Uh, February 23rd. Uh, no, uh, Noble Moto is having another workshop. It's a carb workshop. Uh, you can find all these at noblemoto.com. Uh, check them out also on Facebook. Any other links, you know, if you don't like going through social media to get your uh, find your groups, they have a very convenient way to check out through uh, several different ways for you to check these classes out. So I encourage you to do it. Learn about motorcycle electricity. Probably going to talk about wiring harnesses too. We're very fun. For me, that's a half the battle right there. It's so much fun to learn about um, wiring harnesses and how to track that stuff down. It's one of the one of the black arts of uh, motorcycling and motorcycle maintenance is knowing how the electricity, which is what you need usually to get everything started. That's that's the the basis of it all. So then he's got a carb shop also, or workshop also. So awesome. Um, February 27th is a SoCal cycle swap. Of course, that happens on the last weekend of every month uh, down in Long Beach, uh, Veterans Stadium on Willie Mavis Drive, uh, 4297 uh, Horse Guts Lane. Um, That is the last Sunday, I believe, of every month. Uh, And so... um, with the weather being really warm right now and hot, uh, I think it's going to start picking up with with the uh, you know the seasons kicking off. Um, Friday, March. Shut up, Yoda. Yoda's in the studio tonight. Friday, March fourth, uh, Daytona Bike Week starts. Um, so get your uh, I don't know, get your bike ready. <laughs> ready for that get your week ready for the bike um that's gonna be happening somewhere down in florida it's called daytona bike week but i don't i'm not 100 percent sure if daytona is even a city in florida it sounds made up it sounds like a maybe a native american uh band down there the daytonas um that's probably where it got its name anyway uh daytona bike week so i'm not sure exactly where it happens i'm just guessing that that's the name of the town or that's the name of the uh the uh i don't know local 7-eleven <clears throat> Wouldn't it just be called 7-Eleven? Yeah, I think so. Anyways, that's kicking off March 4th, and it's going to go for... It's called Daytona Bike Week, but I believe it's actually like a week and a half long. Uh, interestingly enough, the AFT season is not starting uh, March 4th at Bike Week. Usually they do the Daytona 200 and, and a whole bunch of fun stuff, and there's a flat track racing and uh, supermoto or supercross racing and uh, some cool local regional races down there during Bike Week. This year, uh, flat track is not starting until the 10th, and I think they're going to be starting in Volusia, which I believe is in, I don't know, who knows, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Is there even, is that a town in one of those states? Let me know. Hit me up. Uh, if you're from Australia and you know more about the ge- geographical layout of the United States than I do, <laughs> let me know where the hell Volusia is. Um, anyway, so all right. So that'll be happening uh, March 4th, Daytona Bike Week. March 10th, I believe, is what AFT season kicks off. Uh, if you follow uh, Supercross, man, that's been already to Anaheim 1 and 2, I believe, has already happened. They've already been to Glendale, or maybe they're coming back. Maybe Anaheim 2. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Anaheim 1 and 2 already happened. They went to Glendale. They went to um, Test Shock. They went down to the uh, Climber, Climberton. Uh, they've been all over. I think this is round 5 already. So looking... Um, pretty exciting season i hate supercross i love supercross what am i saying i love all motorcycle racing but supercross i don't really like as much as motocross so i wouldn't say i hate it i just don't love it as much as the uh the big outdoor um some of the big outdoor tracks um 
What else we got here? Oh, April 22nd, skipping a little bit forward through March. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff happening in March. You write the show and let me know. You got something going on in March? Let's check it out. Uh, But also um, in April, let's kick forward to April. April 22nd is the stage... Coach Classic Motorcycle Rally happening out in Julian. Uh, if you went to the Geico Adventure Rally this year, you know exactly what you're in for. I believe that's where the headquarters is going to be. I think they did this last year too, and it looked really fun. And I didn't make it down there. However, I may do it this year. And the next day, April 23rd, is the Big Willow at, uh, at Willow Springs Raceway. For our friends again, uh, Ramming Spring Racing and Classic Track Days. Did I say Ramming Spring? I probably did. My nose, uh, my nose has me mispronouncing every every day. Um, so, anyways, Willow Springs Raceway uh, at Big Willow Classic Track Day with uh, Brady Walker and the gang, uh, April twenty third. I might take Spamela to the Stagecoach Classic Motorcycle Rally because she's a nineteen eighty. On Saturday. And then on Sunday, go race her at Big Willow. What do you think of that? You think I should do it? I think so. Uh, All right, let's skip through April through some of May. There's a lot of stuff going on in May, too. uh, But we're going to skip to the end of May, which is May 21st and 22nd. The Pasadena Motorcycle Club is having their 76th annual Greenhorn Run. Boy, did I miss out last year after knowing that the 75th was going to be taking place. Uh, I really, you know, came up smoking turds on that one. I should have gone. But uh, the 76th this year, I'm going to try and hit up. A lot of fun. Last year, there was some dirt segments and some road segments just to make it make it fun. It's a two-day rally, May 21st and 22nd. The reason it's two days is because they're taking all back roads. And, uh, yeah, it's usually really, 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 really fun. Um, and let me see. With that, I think that's all uh, of our upcoming events that we have um if you would like to submit an upcoming event uh write the show creative writing podcast at gmail.com oh other than that um like i said thank you to our newest patrons the uh the boys from nokomoto uh i love i love uh patreon i love everything going on with it patreon we're trying to get more going patreon's actually doing some new things so if you are a patron uh, I'm going to try and take uh, advantage of some of the new sweets they have coming up. They're trying to make a patron like a Patreon like a one-stop shop place with some video live streaming so you don't have to record YouTubes and, and link them. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff, it has an API with a lot of other programs and they're trying to bring it all in-house to Patreon, which is nice because then I connected my Discord th- to Patreon. The reason is Patreon offered like a you know, a connection link where you could do. Well, now Patreon's trying to bring that stuff in house. So, uh, there might be a lot more that we can offer on Patreon. Uh, and we'll just have to see what happens. Maybe we will, maybe we'll have time. Maybe we won't, uh, but it'll sure be fun to try. Um, that's, uh, uh, patreon.com forward slash creative writing. And, uh, let's see what else we got going on. That's about it. Uh, everybody. So let's get into this week's show. Um, right off the bat, uh, I'm going to say that this week's guest was an extreme blast to talk to and I had to edit a lot of stuff out and there was there was days and days of stuff that we could have kept talking about so we'll definitely have uh, tonight's guest back on um, I feel like I'm missing something I feel like I wanted to mention one more thing yeah uh, we'll, we'll get to, we'll, we'll try to remember in the middle of the show so kick back grab a brewski and uh, get ready to listen to a lot of motorcycle jib jab and with that we will uh, get into the show <laughs> I'm not in the mood. 
<laughs> All right, everybody. This is Junkie. We are back. Uh, thanks for hanging in there. We got a special guest with us uh, this afternoon, this morning, tonight, whenever whenever you're listening. It could be the future. We got fans in Japan and Australia. It's probably tomorrow, where, wherever you are. Uh, so, yeah, we got someone in the house with us tonight. Um, this is another person that this is the third person that I found on Reddit. Reddit has been such a repository for talent. And uh, the motorcycle community has a huge, huge uh, life on there. And so, as usual, I always mess this up when I try to do it myself. So I'm just going to let them introduce themselves and uh, tell us where they're at and uh, give us your name. Guest, take it away. Hey, I'm Krista Kelly. I work with CA Cycle Works. It's a motorcycle company that makes aftermarket parts for Ducati motorcycles. We just do things that you cannot otherwise buy. Just from us. Just from you. Okay. Just cool. from us. And where are you coming to us from? Are you is it is it are you like eight feet deep in snow? Because I, I, I doubt you're in Italy, you know. <laughs> no, no, we're we're just outside of Atlanta. Um, the business is in Conyers, so it's just east of Atlanta proper. And you know, they have a joke about um, Atlanta weather, just wait five minutes and it'll be agreeable because it'll just change. <laughs> and so like lately it has been just above freezing and hitting 40s to 50s during the day with occasional bouts of 60s and occasional bouts of 30. Good grief. And then come summertime, uh, 120 with 120 degrees percent humidity right <laughs> no we only get up to about a hundred we don't i don't think we actually cross past triple digits much so wow. in that regard it could be worse but yeah there's humidity so let's back up there um when did you start writing what did you start writing and how did you get into writing that was when i was 15 in florida and we're up in the panhandle and i wanted freedom and you could have a scooter with a learner's permit. So we're talking like, you know, mid eighties and plus the insurance was cheap. So I could afford that. So my parents were working on teaching me lessons and being responsible. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> and um, so I got a Yamaha Riva 125 scooter. And nice. I was very disappointed that it was so much slower than the Honda 150s. But, wow, Riva. I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, you know what? Um, I do have to say, I'm I am getting in more into scooters the older I get. And when I was a kid, um, everybody had dirt bikes around me. You know, we kind of lived out in the sticks. And uh, everybody's parents was buying them little mini bikes or dirt bikes. Totally. And I do remember my friends getting scooters when we were about Right, right around that age, 13, 14, couldn't drive yet, couldn't get a license yet. And um, yeah, they would just take those things. They got, it, it took a buck 25 to fill it up and go 500 miles because they got so such good gas yeah. and they would just be gone. And I was bummed because I'm back stuck on the farm with our mule. You know, I can't ride anywhere. <laughs> so. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting parallel was that we'd moved from Orlando to the Panhandle when I was 14. And when I was in Orlando, I rode my bicycle everywhere. And so I rode five miles to school. And then it was like ride 30 miles home. I would do centuries, which is 100 mile rides on the weekends. It got to where I would do a double century and ride 200 miles in a day. 
And when we got up to the panhandle, there were all two lane backcountry roads and it just was not safe. So I basically just immediately quit riding. Oh, crazy. And then we did get me a dirt bike. Um, it turned me off a little because it was a two stroke and I needed a rebuild, which not the end of the world, but it introduced me to working on my own stuff. And then I got the scooter. And I think, so it was like a scooter. Then I got a Seika 400 parallel twin. And it was a total leftover model. Like this must've been 87. And I think it was like an 82 or three, um, the, the sucker. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great little bike. And I don't know why I think maybe, um, I just wanted something faster and I got a GPZ 550 pretty quickly. And then um, a, a truck made a left across my path and I crashed. That was interesting. Um, that was the last time I rode a motorcycle without leather on my hands. Oh, wait, how old, how old were you when you did that? I, that was, like, I was 16. Yeah. I was going to say that sounds like a young person mistake right there. Oh, they were in, they were in my jacket pocket. I don't know why I wasn't wearing like that. just was so horrible. So, you know, I got through that. It was like a head rash all over my hands, my belly, my shoulders. At least I was wearing jeans and a jeans jacket and a helmet, you know, but you're made of rubber when you're young. So I just bounced and it sucked. And I was like, ow. And my bike was on a pool of fire because <laughs> the tire missed the truck. The fork leg missed the truck. So the gas tank and spark plug caught his bumper. Like I was doing a giant stoppy. I don't know this. Like it's just, this is the evidence. And so the bike stopped and it didn't crush my groin or hips because I was vertical. So I just ejected cleanly. I didn't do that double dent on the tank. You got so and lucky. I did. And then um, the guy was so sad. I was like angry until this like really old sweet guy was there crying. And I'm like, it's all right. And that was it. Like, so I had a car after that. And the car was a pile of crap, and I fixed it. And then I had maybe had a couple cars, and I had to get back to bikes. And of course, I lost my license, and then I got it back. And then I got a Ninja 1000, and that was kind of like the end of my tickets because it just disappeared. So this was, you know, back in the 80s when you, you know, if you got caught drinking and driving, if you didn't kill anybody, just go home and, you know, I don't want to see you again tonight. You know, if you're caught doing 150, knock it off. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like such right, a different yeah. era. Like, I wouldn't even think about going 150 by cops today. Like, there's no. just, you're going to have a helicopter and you're going to be on the news. But and that it, was what I did. And um, I learned how to work on all my own stuff because I didn't have money to pay people for it. Nice. Yeah. And you'll go to prison today if you try to do that stuff on a motorcycle. You know, nowadays it's uh, it's crazy. Well, like, uh, yeah, the, the craziest thing is like I'm riding to Pensacola and on I-10, I'm just cruising along. I have my, you know, like I have my elbows on my knees and my left arm holding up my helmet, my right arm holding the throttle. And, you know, I was going about 90. It was real comfortable. And I'm like, oh, a car's pulling in the median. I'm looking. Oh, it's a cop car. It's a Florida Highway Patrol. And I'm watching him go by. Oh, he's turning around. Oh, man. 
he put on his light, click, 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 down to third gear, pin the throttle, I disappear. I jump into hyperspace. You know, go up two exits, get off on to the side street, and then just kind of go normal speed for a while in case he calls all his friends. Yeah. That was the last of my ticket problems. Back in the good old days. <laughs> Gosh, oh my, it's like, you know, you know, like the cops in my town knew I slowed down. They would hear my bikes shift down through all the gears and stop through the city limits. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they, they knew they knew when you were coming and they're like, oh, oh no, she she shifted down. We cannot we cannot uh, shoot. Well, yeah. I think they I think they realized I finally learned not to poop where I live. You know, like don't shit where you live. Exactly. One of the uh, guys that's co-host here is talking about um, like a one percenter that he knew that would turn his bike off rolling into his neighborhood because the same thing you don't want. He's got the loudest pipes in the world and you don't want to you don't want to annoy your neighbors with that. No, no, definitely. Definitely don't want to annoy your local law enforcement with. uh, (laughs) Yeah, they, they were so happy when I quit getting tickets from them. Uh, are you sure? Because I'm sure it was, there was uh, reliable revenue for a little bit. I don't think revenue was a problem. And, you know, they had to know maybe I was a self-medicating adhd who didn't know better. You know, they, they were just like, knock it the F off. And yeah. I think they were happy I did or that I went to the military and went away. Right. And, you know, that is something about the 80s. Like, you know, it was definitely a slap on the slap on the wrist <laughs> out of the um, I don't know if I missed one. I got the Riva, the Seika, the GPZ, which I used to have a GPZ uh, and the Ninja. Did I miss one in there? What was your favorite one of those? Oh, gosh. I mean, that was just high school. You know, <laughs> th- then there was a KZ 750, I think. And. Um, what's a really interesting thing was there is a small hick local shop and they made money drag racing and the something went wrong in the head. I don't know what went wrong, but it needed a new head. And so I'm sitting in their shop all bummed. And I see this engine. I'm like, well, what's up with that? And they're like, well, it's a 650. And it's like, but the head looks the same. He's like, no, 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 it's a, it's a 650. No, it turns out. The 650 head will fit on a 750 engine. And they were like, well, if you make that happen, you can have that head. And the reason why is that now they, you know, you could buy like a 720 overboard kit from Wiseco for a 650. Well, they had like a much huger for the 750. It was a 738. I don't remember what it came out to. When I made my 750 run with the 650 head they realized they could hodgepodge parts together and build like an 800 i think it was an 810 and so they went back drag racing and so they could have a cheater motor with the 810 kit instead of whatever the 650 would make and they'd get yelled at and they say well yeah the 650's got the kickstarter see the 750 doesn't. This is a 650. And so, like, I helped engage that technology of them. Of It was just modular parts bin crap. Wow. That's kind of cool. And the fact that um, – did it have better compression? Was there anything better about it? I mean, but or just, like, it bends the rules enough to still fit in the 650 class, you know? It Well, it didn't bend the rules. It was like they literally put a 750 top end on a 650 bottom end. And – 
the you know ultimately what's the difference well just bore it out more and they never did no like why never did that hmm. that is cool and then so that's if you had to go back to high school, <laughs> what would be your favorite high school bike out of all those ones? Because now we're going to get into the serious shit right here with all these uh, post-high school bikes. I have a feeling that we're about to go down a uh, European rabbit hole. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, and then right after high school, I got a um, GPC 750 Turbo. And... I, you know, I think the, the GPC 550 I had that I crashed was my favorite because that was when you had to buy a map and I would just pick fun looking roads and I would ride all day until it's like, well, I've got this many hours I've been out and this many hours back. And that was that bike kind of represented my freedom. And then... Geez, it's hard to say a next favorite after that because it was like, holy crap, let me think. What's the timeline? So we're... We just take KZ750, so I'm assuming that's right after high school? Right. Well, that was in high school. So it was Ninja 1000. My buddy let his friend drive it and crashed it. So then I made my buddy buy it. And then I got the KZ750... That came and went, and then I got the GPZ 750 Turbo. And I sold that when I was in Orlando or somewhere around then because I went to boot camp and then I had a school for the Navy. And then I went without bikes. Yeah, because I remember now why. It was because I was going to go to Great Lakes. And in Great Lakes, it was going to be snowing and I didn't want to bike there. So there was this bleak period of no bike. So it was like I had the GPZ 750 Turbo. Then I had a GS 1100 that had to be push started. So like, yeah, it was like all these bikes before I was 20. And so went to Great Lakes, then San Diego, Birdmore School. And there I had the bike thing. I got a 78 KZ 650. Loved that bike. It like had the kickstart, so I didn't need to keep the battery alive. And that was when I started discovering racing on the streets, kind of. And it wasn't racing, but it was a whole bunch of biker scum going really fast through neighborhoods. And in San Diego, there's Mount Soledad. So you go to Pacific Beach and you leave north, you'll go up Mount Soledad. And so this was 90 and 91, and I called it the Mount Soledad Racing Team because we were a bunch of lunatics. And we would have people out in their lawns cheering when we went by. And everyone said they knew where I was because of the shower of sparks from my bike because I basically would lean it over until it ground on the pavement. And I would go, and I was like hanging with the guys. And this was when. The FZ600 was out, but it was kind of so new. No one really had one. Um, crap, the FJ600 was there, but nobody had one. So that was before the FZ600. 
it sounds like this was like right when the um you know this is right when the sport bike craze is hitting late 80s early 90s and like right. you're you're transitioning like the the KZ650 wasn't necessarily a sport bike or was it right i mean you know this no, is yeah, like like it was it was a motorcycle it was a 78 motorcycle and it looked like a cruiser when they made it and i took that crap off and put a a super bike bar on it actually i think it had club bin bars those ones that curl around like bullhorns you know and and then like we started doing Palomar Mountain and holy crap, like Sunrise Highway. Pretty quickly I realized that I was faster than that motorcycle. And so I sold it and I got, well, geez, there's a, there's a break in the middle cause I went to, I went to Naples, Italy so I met this girl and I married this girl because I was a guy back then, you know, well, I guess that's a whole other story. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. So, yeah, like, you know, I met this girl and we got married because I was going to Naples, Italy. And somehow in all of this, I ended up with a GPC 1100. And then she had a Nighthawk 650 shaft drive and we went to Italy for the Navy and we had to sell her bike right away because we couldn't register it. And then before coming back, I sold my GPZ. Because then we got back and I had an FZR 600 and we got her a Sucka 2 or Seika 2. She sort of quit riding and then I got something went wrong with the FZR or I sold it. And then I was riding the Sucka 2. And this was when it was the... Um, Laguna GP. So Mount Laguna was S2 and S1, something like Sunrise Highway. Holy crap, amazing road. And we were absolutely felonious through there with what we did. It was just the <laughs> stupidest, dumbest thing. But we're talking 93 and dumb, young Navy and ex-Navy. And it was, that was when this really key thing happened. I had the Seika 2 air-cooled 600. So we're talking literally an engine lifted from the FJ 600 of a decade almost earlier. And we're riding and yeah, if, and if anyone turned on the throttle, they were gone. But you can't turn on the throttle through a turn, right? So we're going into a turn. I'm like, well, why are they stopping? And I'm like, well, what are they doing? So I just went by a guy in the turn like yeah what are you stopping for jeez get out of my way and so i would like pass all the dudes in there um let's say we had gsxrs i don't think the 600 existed yet if i recall the gsxr 600 was the liquid cooled one maybe so they had the 1100s the 750s there were the katanas those were out the zx ninjas were out so like, oh, and the F2, of course, F2 was ubiquitous then. It was before the 900RR and all these guys on these crazy sport bikes. And here I was on this girl's bike and like everyone made fun of me because it was, it literally was my wife's bike and I was riding it. And we're like dive bombing these corners in SoCal through, you know, the national forest. And it's like, what are you stopping for? Jeez. So eventually it got to be the point where I'm like, okay, so 
when I'm fully tucked, pinned, and I have nothing left, I'll just tap my ass. That means just go on by. Because I'll just move over to the right and you all can pin it and leave me on the straights so I can pass you all again the next set of turns. <laughs> and we totally did it that way. It was it was just so stupid, but it was what it was. Yeah. And it's like and- from there it was a GSXR seven fifty. Then I got my first Ducati, it was a 900. I used a student loan to get it. Absolutely irresponsible. A super sport? Yes. And that bike, that was before upside down forks were regular. That's before real brakes were normal. So this bike actually had its tractor motor, but it had an amazing chassis that was above head and shoulders above everyone else's bikes. And so I caught that timing perfect before 900 SSs were everywhere and everybody had one because they were so friendly. By the way, um, I forgot about Mount Soledad, but Palomar and Sunrise Highway are two, uh, I call them hidden secrets. If you live in San Diego, and it's funny because I spent, you know, most of my youth in San Diego and I actually lived up in by Mount Palomar or I'm uh, by um, off of Sunrise Highway for a little bit. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And like an Alpine and all that. Yeah. I lived in, I lived in uh, Pine Valley, which is, you know, even, even further up kind of toward the top, but you know, those hills there, I could tell you there was one sheriff station in Pine Valley that took care of, you know, Alpine and everything else. Uh, oh yeah, east. And then once you got out east, it's weird to look at a map because I always felt like we were going north because you're going up the mountain. But you're going east. There's nothing until you hit the Acatillo or, or the you know Mexico, depending on how. Yeah, totally. Slant, slant north or, or north or south. So that was a crazy. I mean, I I, I know where you're talking about, and I could I could see how you could just fly through there with nobody to stop you. And there's no there's not houses. It's national forest. There's not very many houses out there, and and absolute open through the trees and that elevation changes through there. Oh my god, that is such a phenomenal highway. I never have thought to go ride that once I started riding, because when I was a little kid, I, you know, would go up there. There was a, there was actually a secret, um, military base up there. There's a Navy, Navy, Navy base or army base that, up, or air that, force base. Yeah. I, I think it's a, um, special forces base. It's not on the mountain, but there's another, there's, um, S 22 goes down into Anza Borrego and then there's Scissors Junction and then there's another road that goes down to Otai Lake slash Old Highway 80 mm-hmm. and there's a special ops base down there. Yeah. We would do Ot- Otai Lakes Road out to 94 and Old Highway 80, I think. Yeah, this is this is like twenty years ago. I kind of <laughs> wow. It's crazy because all those roads are so fabulous for riding, and the the San Diego Mods versus Rockers still goes out through the ninety four and out into you know somewhere out into I don't know whatever those I forget the name of those like Lions Valley and all that oh, stuff. Oh, totally. They'll, they'll There's all these crazy roads that we did such heinous acts <laughs> on. I mean, it was just. Thank God I survived my youth. My God, we were dumb. Like 150 getting air on whatever road outside of Banning, going down out of Julian towards the desert, towards um, like Acatillo and and, and, uh, Anza Borrego. Mm -hmm. There's these whoops. 
So of course there's whoops. You need to whoop off the whoops. And dear God, there's just <laughs> how the f do you survive? Like we were dive bombing Sunrise Highway at like 90 and 110, and this is like. Thank God I found the track in like 99 or so, because that's when I realized just how absolutely stupid what we were doing on the streets was. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it is fun though. I mean, gosh, when you're a kid and, and in the Navy, I mean, I'm surprised you didn't have to, you weren't required to buy a bike in the Navy, you know, Top Gun and all that stuff, well, you know. Gosh, was- they, they outlawed bikes. Like literally they had to tell the Marines you had to apply for permission to buy a motorcycle because so many Marines would hoorah and man up and just run into the hill. Like Hapitul Road, there's J-A-P-A-T-U-L, Hapitul Road down in San Diego. There's this one corner we called Suzuki Cliff. I swear to God, there must've been five Suzukis went off this turn and like we'd all have to stop and it, it was like a double decreasing radius left and there was a distraction off to the right. So you're looking at this road and then the road's gone. And we would have to like four and five of us carry bikes up out of there to get to the side road to save the bike and the dude. Cause like you didn't call a tow truck. It was like, I was one of the people with a pickup. I was the designated, well, yeah, they're gonna go home and go get the truck. So you're screwed. Yeah. You know, that Habitual Road, speaking of that, is um, that's one of those ones that's getting more populated because they put a casino out there recently. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You you used to be able to kind of go out there with no traffic. And now you've got, uh, similar to Wildcat, you have all that um, through Barona and all that fun stuff. Oh, God. Wildcat Canyon. I forgot about that. Yeah. Another another, uh, epic shredder. But there's a a casino out there now. I think it's the Golden Acorn or something. And, yeah, there's a lot of traffic out there now. So you can't um, shred some of these back roads. They're not back roads anymore. Or they are, but there's like a, uh, you know, every 80-year-old in East County is headed out there to play bingo. Well, there's just too many cars. I remember when Wildcat was closed down. That was while our time happened. The casino moved in, and then we never hit Wildcat Canyon again. It just, it wasn't worth it. You know, thank God we realized that because it just was like, it's not fun to try to not hit cars. It's fun to bomb the corners. Yep, exactly. Yeah, because Hapitul had the sheriff's like youth camp out there for juvenile offenders or something. And so we always thought they'd hear us racing through. So we were really obnoxious. <laughs> That's perfect. Hey, everybody, it's junk. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm still dying here. I just wanted to say that Krista and I talked about so many things. Did you know Krista? One of the very first people to start internet... Security wrote programs into like HDTV, like brought you HDTV. The very first HDTV was a programmer. Uh, started e-commerce before Amazon was a thing. Logged into her school's uh, DARPA net or whatever you want to call it and entered Ducati into one of the very first North American uh, search engines. Actually, one of the internet's very first search engines. Uh, so many things that we talked about and, and, and racing. We st- we talked about racing. We had to edit all that out. There is so much more to talk about. Uh, and I might put some of this up on the Patreon account. You have to hear how she started 
uh, internet like sales, like like online sales. She was one of the very first people. She wrote her own code for like PHP and her website. I know the Nokomoto boys will nerd out over that stuff. Um, yeah, before the internet was really a thing, when the internet was just becoming a public thing, she was there using her programmer and engineering skill skills to do daytime work, you know, as a computer programmer, nighttime work as a motorcycle wrench, and one of the first e-commerce people. This is before Amazon, I think, you know, before Amazon was an online retailer. Um, yeah, doing it the old way. Batch files and all this fun stuff we talk about. So I'll put, I'll try to put some of that on Patreon, and we're gonna, we're gonna have her back on the show. So we will rediscuss some of that stuff. But now, let's, uh, let's jump into the how I found. Uh, how I got in touch with Krista and what interested me was, you know, seeing her do something specific online. If you can guess what it is, I'll slap you in the face for $5. All right. Bye. We're going on an hour here, so let's transition into that. I want to talk about what you do now. The way I found you is, um, you know, Reddit is a wonderful place. They've got those live streams and you can watch people play music. Totally. You walk a dog through the woods or do rotational casting and then subsequently make all sorts of weird little one-off pieces that uh, literally, like you're saying, I need a solution for this. I'm just going to go make it. And I've watched you put together, uh, you know, everything from... Um, the, the most minute, uh, you know, mechanical pieces to these electrical, you were making like fuel pump circuit boards or something like that. And I mean, you, totally. you do it all, you do it all. And I love watching, uh, watching you go around the shop working. Um, I've, I cast some stuff. I, I do mostly toys and knickknacks, you know, me and me and my kids yeah. and, and make some for my friends. I'm trying to get into making, um, handlebar grips and I've done and I I like I am okay with fiberglass but the resin casting and the um, injection molding and stuff is pretty crazy um I just was reading about Preston Petty who just passed away a couple weeks ago uh and hit, the way he did injection molding was just flat out just learned how to do it and started doing it sort of like you're saying you, you there's a there's a problem you have some of the solution up here and you just start to work on it until you're until you're done with it and so um yeah i i saw you first doing uh rotational casting and and i was looking at your mold and i I'm, i'll ask i guess i can you can tell me if you want how much that thing costs but i see you there like cleaning it with the scraper all nice and i'm like well that's why your stuff turns out so nice i would be like yeah it looks good you know yeah <laughs> well you know um the rotational we'll see first thing i it's called rotational molding and why molding versus casting i think is just because there's heat and we melt. So, I mean, I don't know the phraseology or why, but I do know they never call it casting. Um, and I've done resin casting where you mix something and you pour it in a mold and you take your silicon mold apart that you made. Like, how do you make a mold? You made, you molded a, a perimeter around an item to make mold to right. mold something, right? You know? So I've done resin casting I've made my molds for resin casting, but our first product that was molded was for Ducati MH900E. So that's the Mike Halewood replica. Pierre Turbanche designed it probably 98 or 99. It was supposed to be released in 2000, but it was more like 0102. And 
Bimota is stamped on the frame. So I bet after they did their internet model release for the MH, Ducati just handed that whole thing to Bimota and said, not us. And so it had a 2.2 gallon tank. And that tank was rotationally molded polyethylene. And roto-molded polyethylene for a fuel tank, you're going to cross-link it. And cross-linking is the same thing as vulcanizing rubber for like tires. That's where you take hydrocarbon chains and you make links between different chains. That's as deep as I get in it because we're talking fourth to eighth year chemistry in college on how that happens. But it's cross-linked. And so I spent a year trying to figure out how to get this process done because I was on a list. This guy named John Cullen had Ducati, I think it was like mh900evoluzione.net. So that was the model name was mh900evoluzione. And they all wanted a bigger tank. Well, that lady, I was married to Zena, she had one of these bikes and yeah it had a two gallon is 2.2 gallons so like we rode this loop and we're in julian and we wanted to go otai lakes and i'm looking at the thomas brothers guide which was the map of the time i'm like it's 80 miles back to the freeway this bike is she gets 40 miles to the gallon So we had to stop in Pine Valley for gas from Julian. We filled up in Julian like we always do, but this stupid bike had to stop in Pine Valley 28 or 30 miles later so we can make it to the freeway. And because there was another Chevron at the next gas station from Julian was the Chevron at Otai Lakes. And I want to say it was 15, but it was probably 805. I don't remember. And so I was like, this is stupid. And people were complaining. They're like, we need this. I somehow figured out how to call rotational molders on the phone in LA. And we found the people who make IMS tanks, the Baja tanks. And that started it. So it was just like, hey, we have this need. And so this was an all-in-one company. Our first tank was a complete black box. There was no, um, I had no clue. I just drove there and picked up a whole bunch of these black tanks, threw them in the, in the truck, drove back down to San Diego and shipped them to customers. Well, some of them leak. Well, why do they leak? Well, the place where the fuel pump goes isn't flat. And that literally is the start of where we're at today at the other complete end of the entire process where I do everything. It was like, well, why does it leak? Well, quality controls crap. And so like the next stage is how do we make increased quality control? How do I verify? Now we have another product and then the hypermotard tank and a group buy for it comes around. You just like I started at literally it was a black box. And most things rotationally molded are that. You've got booster seats and restaurants are rotationally molded. They're not cross-linked. 
those fans when your apartment floods and they show up and tear up the edge of the apartment and put that weird axial radial whatever fan in that's like a big turbo that's rotationally molded one of the people who made our tanks had like semi trucks of those lined up in their warehouse ready to ship um what else is rotationally molded like one of the guy who made our hyper mold they're out of business now they're called trend tooling and gardenia oh i don't know they i saw on their wall a drawing from trd so toyota research they did intake tubes and then i find out also snb filters does a lot of diesel cold air intake kits they're out of socal i think ontario they have a rotational molding machines to do cold air takes so, so many things use this it's an ancient process well it's old it's one of the older plastic molding processes if not the oldest but it's very slow and low cost So it's like I went along my journey of each time there was a failure to deliver a product to my customers, I had to learn more. And I had to learn more. And I had to learn more. And I had to learn more. Like so it's just each little nuance I got better and better at. So when we when we fled California and fled San Diego, nobody out here in Atlanta could run our tools. And we were left like a year without being able to do tanks and it's like we've either got to do it ourselves or quit. And we went through a few different companies in California getting better quality. We started, well I don't want to even say the people we started. We started with people who do IMS tanks. Great company. They get the job done and our requirements are beyond what is normal for rotational molding. We need better quality, we need better consistency, better controls. And in my Reddit videos you see when I go live, I talk about why I do each of these little things and it's not normal. Like cleaning the flanges between each mold. That's not industry standard. That's not normal. Normal is you you spend an hour doing a tank but you've got like 30 or 50 tools you're making parts and you just oh this one's bad throw it in the trash that's at the other end of what i want i want perfection and so i went through all these different companies and the last one i ended up with was the best and they had built and designed their own oven and that's the oven that is in my shop right now that you see it's the 6 foot version of the oven they made they then made an 8 foot oven then they made a 14 foot oven cuz you can fit more tools make more money and then they got rid of their 6 foot oven and it sat in someone's parking lot for a decade until i bought it i've seen people ask you uh what type of machinery you have running your rotational device cuz it is it's huge and the first time i saw your oven coming over your oven comes to the machine the machine doesn't go in the oven yes. it's an incredible process and every little thing you were you were talking with them about is that you had to you know you've repurposed something or you've used this and that the, the jig that holds the molds every little thing um if you didn't make it you had a huge part in either refurbishing it or or fixing it designing it so on and right. so forth um injection molding can cost you know 
quarter of a million bucks just for one tool. Um, Absolutely. Injection molding is a a whole nother beast. So what what do you, what are your, your molds? They're still metal, right? I mean, they're, they're metal. So what do they cost to make? If you don't mind me asking. Well, the, the molds are like historically with rotational molding, there's two kinds. So this is all like, if you Google rotational molding, that's the process. You're going to find there are cast aluminum molds, and then the industry term is a fabricated mold. And a fabricated mold is just you take sheet metal and you create the shape and then it bolts together as a box. So rotational molding is you make a metal box that can more or less seal and then you stick it to the arm for, rota- for rotating. And then you blow hot air at it while it rotates in 360. The way the process chemically works we buy powder that's already been pulverized. And so um, like the giant people in LA, they bought pellets and then they pulverized the pellets. But it's still like we buy Exxon plastic. So we're talking Exxon Valdez people, they do these hydrocarbon designs for all sorts of industries. They've got the best black cross-linked powder resin for us to buy and make parts with and so for a fuel tank that's done via rotational cross-linked polyethylene is the most dimensionally stable but you can't paint it so like i buy this powder we figure out how much weight through trial and error they all did that it goes in this this metal box that spins in a 3d and then he just blown at it. And so um, this, this resin powder, they call it resin, but it's powder. So this resin powder has a glass temperature where it starts to flow. And then I contact the manufacturer and they say to ensure the best cross-linking, the interior of the mold needs to be 410 degrees Fahrenheit for a minute. So I kept altering the process. I did have temperature strips that can be inside the molds. And once they hit 410 or 420, I knew that cycle was good. So that's all you have to do for rotational. Uh, Wait, you said that's all you have to do? That's quite a bit. I mean, that's like a lot of trial and error and testing though. I mean, that's that's not a simple, that sounds like a lot of, uh, (laughs) that's a lot of work. Yeah. So, you know, to get back to your cost thing, rotational is one of the cheapest ways to make any mold. Traditionally, um, like the folks that do the IMS tanks, when I was there, they had next year model who's who's well, not who's birth. They had Husqvarna's. They had a Honda dirt bikes to build bigger tanks with. They build a wooden plug in the shape but there's a star. It has to be 2% oversized. The mold that is there in the arm has to be 2% bigger in every dimension than the finalized part you want. So that works okay for a lot of dirt bikes because they know, they have like a, a, a known quantity for a hole with two screws next to it, how to make that work when it's done shrinking. They kind of know from, say, the groin to the steering stem what to do. 
so that when it comes out, it's the right shape. Where my parts are kind of batshit is that we've got six holes around a perimeter of an opening where a fuel pump flange goes. Those six holes have to be pretty dang close. And I was so amazed with our, we have four tools, that's it. The first one for the MH900E, they had to move the inserts a couple times. And it wasn't until just recently I saw the butchering that happened to the mold because this is a half inch piece of aluminum they cast around that wooden plug. So this one all in one company, they've got a foundry, they've got a design shop, they've got a molding company. Like this is three different huge industries. And the butchering you have to do, you say, well, yeah, there's no problem, move the hole. Well, that's not a hole. It is a hole that then has a drill bushing put in, which is a very solid, high hardened piece of steel, and then a cap welded on. So if you want to move one of these half a millimeter, which is half a millimeter is enough to make something not work, you know, consider the petcock on your bike where your fuel comes out. You've got two mounting screws that are probably 60 millimeters apart or 55. Good thing about metric is that they usually end with zeros. And then there's a hole in the middle. So they know to do them, say, 63, 65 millimeters apart with a hole in the middle. Well, now you talk about six holes around an oval or six holes around a circle that's four inches. And nobody does that. So, like, it's just so hard. You've got to get that insert back out. You've got to weld up that hole somehow. And then you have to remember where it was to move over half a millimeter and drill a new hole for a new insert that you weld in. And I was going to say, these are negatives too. So yeah, you don't just pop it on and pop it. Yeah, you have to, it's a whole process to have to move it. Oh my God, I can't even imagine. Like I can do a lot of things. I haven't learned how to weld, thank God yet, because... I'm still productive with not welding. If I start welding, I will never leave the shop. (laughs) But so our next tank was a a monster tank. I shouldn't have done the monster tank. They couldn't get either of the locations correct. And so that project stalled. And then our next tank was for the air-cooled hypermotards. Now, so... The cast molds back then, you're talking, say, 14000 bucks to go to these folks that make the IMS tanks. They might eventually get you a product that can be molded on my arm for, say, 14 grand. So let's just call that 20. So you can probably get a cast mold for a fuel tank. So the Yamaha behind you, there probably already is a mold somewhere. And if you could find it, you could buy it from them for probably three grand. But to take that mold and have a cast mold built around it that say you get this piece of plastic from me, you're going to be paying probably 20 grand to get that mold. 
maybe a little more depending on who the tool maker is and how many times they have to move holes because they were wrong. Man, yeah, that's something you just don't think about when it's when you talk about starting from scratch. You know what I mean? And and to wonder why people don't just make parts for every little bike and and every uh, you know every model that comes along. Totally. <laughs> well, and then, and then so the next part is like your Yamaha tank behind you that's in the red with the white. That's between your legs. You can see it. Shouldn't that be shiny? I mean, maybe you can't paint it and clear coat it, but shouldn't it be shiny? That's like this monster tank I'm building. Well, you cannot polish cast aluminum. It will have porosity. You can make it shiny and you can make it look mirror finish when you hold it. However, when you cast metal or cast aluminum, um, geez, cast the um plastic inside of it the plastic makes a perfect mirror of that surface and it will the heat cycling will exacerbate porosity in that mold so you get this cancer on the finish so we had to find another shop to do a billet top for the second mold for the monsters and that was such key innovation they cut us a deal because I think we had found them independently before I had that done. So our second tool that I started for the next 15,000 bucks hasn't made a product yet I can sell. Third tool comes around, Ducati released the Hypermotard HM1100. Air-cooled Desmo Due 1100 motor with a 3.3 gallon tank. So just like with the MH900E, you could go 80, 90, 100 miles and you'd be out of fuel. And then if you put anything on it to get more power, forget that. So we had one of our best customers who at that time had bought everything we ever sold. I'm not going to name him. He probably wouldn't care, but great guy. He's like, you need to do this tank for the Hypermotard. And it happens to be about the same time um, Zena had bought one of those. And so I said, if you heard the cats, you get 50 people to, to chime in and say they'll buy it, we'll do it. She funded that tank and then we repaid her. So a billet aluminum mold, we went that way. We were at the forefront of design. Um, I worked with, this was um, Dean Renshaw and his, I forget his dad's name. His dad started Trend Tooling. They're out of business now. They're in Gardenia. And they had like eight giant CNC's. I mean, you could stand inside their CNC machines. And I'd asked them if they would help us do this hyper tank. And we created a plug the old way that you would then have cast around, except for I found another business to do a laser scan of that. We got a digital model made and I gave that back to Dean. And eventually he was able to take the noise that is a laser scan and create a tool around that. And we had this Hypermotard tank and that's been our best product by far. Yeah. 
it's really complicated too because if I remember correctly, it goes under the seat a little bit. You know, a lot of Beamers and and KTM's and and it goes Ducati. it goes from the steering stem to the tail light. Right. So it's a big, a uh, lot of frame and other components to work around there. You got to be, you know, you got to be exact on that. So that's pretty incredible. Um, yeah, that's that's amazing. And then on top of that, um, uh, so I. I looked at your website and yeah, you have quite a few, you have some just standard tanks that looks, that look like a standard bolt on, you know, right in front of the seat sort of tank. But then you've got these amazing, like you're talking about, um, I don't know what even to call them. They're, they're, they're an engineering nightmare from, (laughs) from what I see to to have to design it around all that stuff. Everyone takes that for granted. Nobody really thinks about the fact that, you know, you had, somebody had to sit there and, trace every component around this that this is gonna go over or under or through and 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 get it down because you're right people this is another thing that people don't think about i used to see it in the automotive industry a lot people get like an aftermarket bumper or something like that back when fast and the furious was cool and it doesn't fit and it's because they 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 put a mold over the outside of something and then they didn't mold the inside of it, so you have your 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 final piece is a little bigger. Like they ripped a they ripped a copy and then like made copies of that rather than making right. a copy of the inside. And 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 it uh, yeah, so that shrinkage or the the internal diameter and uh, of the mold, people probably don't. Put well, a lot and, of and into. how many people are going to put in the effort to keep iterating until it's right? Yeah, yeah. And like so on that hyper tank. There were, th- I think, three inserts that needed to be moved, maybe four, but like I know at least three. And um, I can tell looking at the tool, you can see the misery behind changes we had to do to the tool over time. Like each time you do a change, there's no going around that. Like you've got to do the change and then somebody's got to weld junk back together. And the only surface you care about is the inside. So the outside looks miserable. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> um, and it, it's fun to watch you go around and prep these things too because I, I'll see you prepping um, prepping holes for, for nutserts or inserts and prepping things for a fl- uh, like where the fuel tank flange mounts and when people get this like finished product I don't think they realize in this day and age of uh, in this day and age of basically everything being uh, mass produced I don't think they realize that there's one person there doing all this stuff you know what I'm saying like behind the scenes uh, you know doing every little piece from, from every little nut and bolt that goes into this thing you know yeah totally and so like the factory tanks are made by a company called a Cherbies. Everyone's heard of a Cherbies. It's a Cherbies plastic. I mean, they've said it all different ways. The Italian way is a Cherbies, A C E R B I S. Yeah. Um, and through talking with folks like at Mod Roto, the best molder in LA. They believe the only way you could achieve Ducati OEM quality is with a Leonardo machine. That's what you Google, Leonardo rotational molding. And it is the closest you can get to the automation of injection molding combined with rotational as a process. So 
each process has compromises and advantages. The best thing about rotational is you can get into goofy corners. Motorcycle tanks have goofy corners. And so blow molding is another process. That's where literally you hang a bag, you pinch the bottom, and then you blow it up inside a mold and you pinch the top. That's okay for things like normal fuel tanks, normal shapes. So like the gas can you carry out to your lawnmower, that's a fairly benign shape that can be blow molded. Blow molding was gonna suck for like a motorcycle fuel tank where you have a huge draft in the middle for the frame. So like most tanks are saddle tanks kind of like on your bike. So blow molding is totally not gonna work for that. Injection molding is not gonna work for anything hollow ever. So injection molding's out because injection molding, so with injection and blow molding, your tooling has oil passages inside so that you can heat the mold very precisely. And so with um, blow molding, you drop the parasol and you blow it up inside this mold and it fills the cavities. And then so the, the, the blow molding tooling, you can make a part about every minute, maybe a little quicker, maybe a little slower. Um, and it can be hollow. But its limitation is you can't do like a typical motorcycle gas tank because you've got corners too far away from the center of this mass. Injection molding doesn't do hollow parts. With an injection mold, here again, you've got a modular kind of tool that fits inside the machine and you can precisely control its heat. Like the metal of the blocks that slide together to make an injection mold You've got to have those at exactly the right temperature, somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 degrees F, probably. I haven't done any injection. I looked into it, but I haven't done any. So like injection molding can be fairings. It can be um, windscreens. Windscreens are easier to do via blow molding, but that's a whole different world. And so injection molding, where its magic is, is that You've got this modular set of molds inside the machine and then there are these giant blocks that go together and then you throw in molten plastic under tremendous pressure. And so there the magic is you've got to take these pellets or this powder, you've got to melt them, then you have to throw them in with incredible injection pressure into the space. So you have to have venting, timing, temperature, all perfect. Then those molds pop apart and this piece falls out. That's perfect. Yeah. So that's great for fairings and most things like um, television remote controls, that's going to be injection. To do a hollow injection mold, you'd have to have like some heated piece there in the center that takes up part of the cavity and then squeeze the tube. It's just like a weird, you, it'd be a, it'd be a yeah, contrived, you, you, you know? You can't because the closest you can get to that is say you have a disposable core in sand cast molding. And so that's the only other way to get a, a core is if you do sand casting with a plug inside that you can then later remove. So you cannot get a tank shape from injection. 
unless you weld it together and now you've got a seam. Yeah, it's it's uh seems like it's the most reasonable way to do it. And and I mean, is this how all the big companies do it? Is this how most gas tanks are made? Is rotational uh, or no, I think most gas tanks are gonna be EBM. And that's blow molding. It specifically it's extrusion blow blow molding. So cars are gonna be a five layer kind of tank. Three to five layers, you're alternating polyethylene and nylon to create a fantastic vapor barrier. And so the shapes are gonna be constrained such that the process can handle it because they need the production to create the numbers. Rotational molding is great for um, experimental, for um, design work or prototyping and in expense, like cheapness, but it, it doesn't work for say BMW or any big brand because it's too labor intensive. You only get one part per hour. So yeah. for each cavity, so if your tool only makes one part, that's one cavity. And for a motorcycle gas tank, one cavity is probably close to it because it's huge. You have to do a 20-minute-ish bake cycle. And then the industry is you do a 20-minute-ish cooling cycle and then 20 minutes to take your part out and prep it for the next piece. And that's where our tanks ruin the paradigm because a Leonardo machine can automate doing things like the inserts, whereas I can't. And so with 41 inserts, it would take five people practicing how to do the inserts to maybe get them done in, an, in half, half an hour or 20 minutes. So like you're talking about my molding machine so the oven moving, the, 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 the mobile oven is considered a shuttle system. That's the rotational term for that is a shuttle. Something's moving in and out. However, we combine that with a carousel effect where I never, ever rotate my table, but it has three arms on it. So the way my machine was designed is that you've got the arm in the oven and you have another arm that's in cooling and another arm that you just worked on. So when you see me in the videos, I'm at the stage of turning a mold. I'm working on it. You're, un you're unbolting the mold, you're pulling out the old part. And then in normal reality, you're immediately prepping it to go back in the oven. So you put it back together, you add the shot, and you bolt the molds back up. So an arm has two spiders, so you've got two sides, and you don't want a little bitty arm like mine, six foot, you want an eight foot, 10 foot, 12 foot, 15 foot arm to put six, eight molds on each side. And so you've got an order to do a hundred floating Bose speaker systems. And as a molder, you're selling those to bows for like eight bucks each. And so you're running three shifts. Each shift can make eight of these speakers. How many days until those many speakers are out the door? That's how rotational works. If they need more, you need two molds or you need a multi-cavity mold 
or how they make baby seats instead of a spider arm is one mold with 24 cavities. And a crane puts the top on so they can bang out 24 in one go. The thing must be like, you know, 20 feet tall or something. Absolutely. Like the, one of the vendors we tried to get make our tanks, they make dumpsters out of rotational molding. What? Only heck? one at a, well, two at a time. They have one on each side. But like it, it doesn't scale properly because it takes an hour for a part. So say if somebody wanted me to build them baby seats and they wanted thousands, I would have six molds. So you've got three arms, one on each side of each arm. I'd have each arm populated with these stupid ass multi-chambered seats. And I would be, I'd come in every day and be a whip to get them to do it right. <laughs> and then I would just like try to not kill myself around the misery of logistics on this. Yeah, so where my mind suck is that I've got 41 inserts on one of my tools, the HM, the hyper tank. It's like, you just watch the videos. It takes me an hour to load those inserts. That's How are you going to turn that tool and make the next part? That's why I do it. Because when we left California, we had our tools. We didn't have a molder. Anyone we approached to do it could make the first tank because the owner guy or their engineer, their technician could make that first tank. Then they turn it over to production and I ruin their rotation. They're looking for 20 minute cycles. And all the people around here, we have three arms. Most of the people around here have two. So ours is a hybrid shuttle carousel Whereas the other people had shuttles and that's where the oven stayed the same in the middle, like say a vertical drum, like a big bass drum at a, at a band. And then doors on either side would open up and then the arm would shuttle into the oven. On one side, they'd bake the parts, it opened, they'd come out, they'd close the door, open the other side and bring the parts in. So they're looking at two rounds an hour. But when it comes to my tools on their arm, it takes an hour to turn that arm instead of, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. And it wrecks mm -hmm. the rest of their production. Like they're counting on blah parts per shift for this machine. And if our parts are on their arm, it screws up the rest of their economy. All right, we took a quick little pause there. Uh, both of us had a, a major catastrophe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we had a little little break there, a convenience break. Um, but here's what I do know, just from talking to you now for, well, we've been chatting for a couple hours, but only recording for an hour and a half. I'm going to have to edit some of this out. And it pains me because I can feel there's so much... Uh, there's a lot of history. We, we, we didn't even get into, we got into the squid squad racing, but we didn't even get into your actual racing career that you had for a little bit. I'd right. love to have you back on the show and talk about that. Yeah. Um, we, we, we talked a little bit about rotational molding and molding costs and things like that, but I'd love to have you on and talk about all the other crazy stuff that you do. She, um, Krista is on Reddit. If you, um, if you want to go watch, a. uh, 
you know, I think you stream almost daily. Well, you know what? I don't like. Okay, who who likes working, right? I don't like working, and I get back there and it's cold or hot and I'm alone and it's like I don't want to work. So I discovered if I stream live, I can have. It feels like there's somebody there with me, and it makes me want more to work. So. Either it's the accountability aspect of oh crap I have to work somebody's watching, or the camaraderie of you know hey someone's here with me when I don't want to be working so it's not as bad. I don't know, but I just I'm able to be more productive if I go live and just rant and whine and complain. I mean that's what I say. I don't. I know I don't do that the whole time, but. It it lets my monkey brain talk about what I'm doing and keep me engaged with what I'm trying to do instead of wanting to not work. Right. No, and that makes total perfect sense. And it's entertaining, entertaining to watch. I love, you know, I would, I, I only know a couple things of what you're, what you're doing. And it's so fun to see other people that are in either CNC or some sort of fab and they'll come in and they'll ask you questions about the process you're doing. Why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it that way? And you'll, you know, while you're doing your, you know, one thing or while you're waiting for something to cool off, you've got a time to answer that. And it's fascinating. It's an insight into an otherwise, uh, here's something that's always fascinated me is when you get something you know somebody or something made that you know it started with the person right and they had to create well, it via it's how mold. it's made right that's the whole how it's made tv show there you go except for like my nerding is i don't care how it's made who made that machine that makes it oh my gosh that person's a freaking nerd. <laughs> right. So there's that too. There's all those people asking you like your your rot- uh, your rotational machine, for example. Somebody asked you about that. And it's like of all the things that you're doing on the screen, they just they chose to ask you about the actual machine that turns the thing, right? And so it's it's wonderful. It is how it's made. I mean, that show, uh, if you ever watched it on the uh uh, you know, TV or anything that is fascinating. So here you get a chance for that show to talk back to you. You know, you go to Chris's there popping on something, yeah. and every, every every time you see a comment, if you if you happen to be looking, you will um, be able to comment on it. And yeah, you, you learn. It, it's like having an interactive TV show. It, it's it's awesome. Um, before you leave us, because we like I said, we, we I could have you on eighty four times and probably we just still talk for eighteen hours sure. every time. Why before not? you. Before you leave, um, where can people f- find you? Because I want to, uh, I want to share with them, you know, how I found you, um, which is Reddit. Well, I'm not 100 percent sure where we're at on Reddit. I even found well, you. I just prob- probably the easiest way on Reddit, like like the easiest of all the ways, is if you watched me or followed me on Reddit. You know how Reddit starts the usernames with you slash, so it'd be you and then the question mark slash, not the other backwards one for DOS. And then T-S Krista, so capital T, capital S, capital K, Krista. And that that's probably the quickest way you'd find me. I'm on Facebook too. I've got a little bit of a private-ish channel. It's not necessarily private, but... Um, friends only get to see more than not friends. Um, I think if you did a search on Krista space A M A E space K, 
I would show up. Um, <laughs> it's a little more, you know, like I'm trans and that's some crazy shit going on. And it's, you know, I'm complicated with the bikes. I'm just as complicated in every other aspect of my life. Um, there's so much shit going on, you know, hey. Yeah, hey, whatever. However yeah. you want to connect with Krista, go for it. Yeah. I found you I found you on Reddit just scrolling through and saw somebody doing a rotational mold. And I'm in a cat. I, I, I might have even looked up casting or something in the search. Yeah. And it came up as that, right? So however you do it, you've got a ton of interesting um, behind this. Well, I wouldn't call them behind the scenes except for like, hey, how? when you get a fuel it's, pump it's and behind the it. scenes like yeah. nobody gets to see people actually working yeah. um even Sorting how it's made, <laughs> yeah even <laughs> how it's made has well an operator does blah 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 and it's like you know they put them in the best clothes yeah and they 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 scheduled it just right and framed it just right it's like if i go oops it's an oops and there's no editing it out i don't care <laughs> right so yeah you you do get to see the behind the scenes uh and and i guess you know for for lack of a better term and interact with the with the yeah. uh action going on i love it thank you so much for coming on thank you uh and tell your wife thank you for um, sharing yeah. with the, uh, you know, sharing the afternoon with us. Um, I know you've got an awesome truck that you you two are working on. I know that you've got a ton of other stuff from your other videos that I watched, like you said, yeah, in the in progress going. So we're pretty so, psycho over here. Yeah, there's so much more we could talk about. But thank you for um, thank you for spending this time with us uh, this time around, and we'll catch you next time. Um, with that, everybody. Uh, take it easy, Krista. Have a wonderful rest of your uh, weekend and uh, tell your wife to do the same. And we'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Thanks. And thanks for reaching out. All right. No problem. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining this week's show. We had an ultimate blast. If there's anything you would like to know or how to get in touch, or if you want to know about rotational casting, molding, actually rotational molding, uh, look up our friend uh, T.S. Krista on uh, Reddit and uh, just go to reddit.com period and look up any of the manufacturing products. I got some amazing stuff on there. Uh, we're going to try and get you out here, out of here in a half and an hour and a half. So a little bit over schedule from what we've been trying to keep our shows to, but hopefully not too much. And if I quit talking right now, it will be exactly an hour and 30 minutes and 50 seconds. So with that, up your butt with a rubber coconut. Bye.